Tonight's your first time here to Matthias's lot. I want to welcome you. Uh, we are a group of people uh, that are completely messed up. And so if you feel messed up, then you're very welcomed here. We're on a journey to better receive and understand the grace of God that covers over every blemish of ours to the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? So that's why we're here. That's what we're doing. And I want to talk first about a common experience that many of us have. Growing up, many of us here experienced this uh, church phenomenon called Sunday School. How many of you guys have ever been to Sunday School before? Anybody? Yeah. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Uh, for me growing up, it was, uh, it was interesting because they always put pillars of the church to be Sunday school teachers, which is, which is great. I mean, they're very knowledgeable. Problem is, they're second grade kids like me. You know what I'm saying? And I don't know if your goal was this in Sunday school, but my goal in Sunday school was pretty much to wreak havoc on every Sunday school teacher that I ever had. And so, it, yeah, it was always a game of, you know, who can pin the tail on the teacher or, you know, who can stick the gum on the ceiling. You know what I mean? All, all those games. Um, but Sunday school was great. I enjoyed it. Uh, it taught me many things about the Word. One of the issues, though, with Sunday school is that it, it takes a military approach often to teaching. Uh, I'm, what I mean is, I'm not, I was never in the military. I have some military friends, and I saw the movie Major Pain, which makes me automatically a uh, connoisseur of military affairs. Um, but I'm pretty sure that when uh, your commanding officer tells you to make your bed, you don't say, well, how come? You know? And, and I'm pretty sure uh, if your commanding officer says, wake up at four in the morning, you're not like, well, well why? You know, no, no. In the military, the commanding officer speaks and you listen. And I, I feel like that in Sunday school, that was the same approach. The teacher is very learned, very knowledgeable, and so what they say goes. You're trained almost to receive everything and to never ask how come or why. Are you with me? Well, it's all well and good as long as you're around Christians. But the moment, like many of you, when you get to a university or whatever it is that you do after high school, and you begin repeating the military phrase, especially around the resurrection, He is risen, He's risen indeed. You know what I'm talking about. This is how I was trained around Easter. He's risen, He's risen indeed in my nice choir boy uh, format. What happens is, you get a professor who's teaching intro to religion, or you get some friends who have a different understanding of the Bible than you, and you say, He's risen, He's risen indeed. And the first time that someone says, well, how do you know that? You say, well, well he, he's, he's risen. He's risen indeed. And, and, then, you, and then they say, well, well, well why? Like, like, what made you come to that? Because the Bible tells me so, idiot. You know? And I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't tell us so. But what I'm saying is, is growing up, many of us have been trained with the head. 
to articulate certain truths. And as soon as those truths get shaken or questions begin to get asked, that's why we see what's the high, what, what, some crazy percentage of college students who grew up in the church, who go to universities and begin to fall away from the gospel. Why? Because people start asking questions that they haven't been trained to answer. It's awesome tonight that we're celebrating Christmas by celebrating Easter. You know what I'm saying? I love that. It's amazing that God timed up us studying the Gospel of Luke precisely to be able to to celebrate Christmas by celebrating Easter. And here's my prayer going into the passage tonight. I think many of us either lean with the head. In other words, it's all about knowledge. It's all about the gaining of wisdom. It's all about becoming more intelligent. There's others of us that lean very heavily with the heart. It's all about passion. It's all about emotion. Look, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a tough thing to fathom, isn't it? To read the Scriptures and watch Christ conquer death is a tough thing to fathom. And what I'm praying tonight is that the the answer to the question, why do each of you believe or not believe that He is risen? I'm praying that in the next couple weeks, supernaturally, God will connect head and heart. And so that when people say, well, why do you believe He is risen? We are able to articulate more than just the Bible tells us so. I asked that question to a few people in our body. And here's what they said. A lot of people believe that you have to have like a blind faith. Um, when it comes to the resurrection, and I just don't believe that. And I think the overwhelming evidence um, that points to that is just the change in uh, my own life, knowing how sinful I am as a person, and that He's still working in my life, He's still empowering me, He's still guiding me, He's still directing me. Um, And just seeing too many people um, around me being changed by Jesus, uh, what he's done in their lives, uh, I can't look at that evidence and, and deny that he is alive, that he's not uh, some dead guy in a tomb somewhere. So life's purpose is to do the will of God uh, in order to bring glory to God. Uh, I found in my own journey that the way God proved this to me was when I was out and about in the world doing what I thought was what I needed to do, uh, my own hands work. Uh, I struggled. Things would fall apart. Everything would crumble. and Nothing seemed to work quite right. Uh, over the past three years, I, I did this. And not until the last six months, um, coming to Matthias and uh, understanding the truth of one's life is to really search out the will of God and to find that Christ is alive and doing that. I can see in my everyday life that Jesus is alive and working. Um, just a few years ago, my my life was ruled by sin. And Jesus definitely broke me and then changed the person I am today. Um, so for those non-believers, we can uh, 
use our testimony and, and our life to prove to them that we wouldn't be the people we are today without the fact of Jesus being alive and working in our lives. I believe that when you look at the lives of the disciples, you can totally see that Christ was real and that Christ was here and that he was resurrected. And it's because when you look at the pre-resurrection disciples, you see this picture of these guys that are um, un not guided by anything, that are um, questioning Jesus, that are doubtful of him. And then post-resurrection disciples, you see a picture of these guys that are passionate. You know, they're leaving their homes, their families, and they're going to be missionaries and spread the gospel and they become prisoners, they become martyrs for their faith. And so when you see the picture of the difference between pre-resurrection and post-resurrection disciples, you know, you gotta wonder, something happened. What about you? We're gonna pray for something supernatural to happen. You ready? Let's pray together. God. Move in such a way amidst us that you connect head and heart like no message from man can. Do it. Please move among us. And please, God, help us to see that you are risen. Amen. If you guys can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Last week, our church planning intern, Noah Oldham, did a marvelous job preaching and want to thank Noah for bringing the word so strongly. You remember that he opened this discussion about the resurrection, and it ends with this man, Peter. In verse 12, we've seen the life of Peter over and over in the scriptures, and we see him run to the tomb, see the linen on the empty tomb. And then what is the, the end of verse 12 said? It says, he wondered what had happened. And so I hope that the wonder that each of us have tonight can dive into the Word and allow God to transform us. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Uh, first of all, it says that this is the same day. Well, what day is this? Uh, you'll notice at the beginning of Luke chapter 24 that Scripture says it is the first day of the week. I love this because at Matthias we have a completely different rhythm of church. We meet on Wednesday nights, clearly, you know. And on Sundays we meet in homes to celebrate the Sabbath, to cease and celebrate what Jesus is doing in our midst. And there's a reason why the Sabbath moves from Saturday, the seventh day of the week, to Sunday, the first day of the week. It's because now we celebrate the fact that Jesus has risen. And so here, like Acts 20 and several other verses, we see people gathering on the first day of the week. And this is going to come up especially next week as we see a celebration happen for the very first time on the new Sabbath. But these two men, we'll find out one of their names a little bit later, are walking on their way to a, uh, to a village called Emmaus. Uh, how many of you guys like to walk? Any of you guys? Good, three of us. We're a healthy church. And uh, the walking, okay, I don't know if you knew this. 
Walking in that culture was a very prevalent thing. You would do that, okay? Uh, mostly out of necessity. People, not everyone had access to animals, etc. And so a seven-mile seven journey, which is what it was, 60 stadia in the Greek, would have been a very manageable journey. Uh, Jamie, how long would that take a normal human being? Seven miles. An hour and a half, okay? We'll go with it. Me, three hours, okay? So, the, you know, wherever you land in there. But this is going to take them a while. And what I love about this is you have two individuals on a journey, and it's, it's like they're forced to talk. Have you ever been on a trip like this before? It's like you're in a car. Uh, me and Jeremy, uh, in, a, in the early parts of our relationship, uh, we, we took a three-hour trip, and we really hadn't hung out a whole lot before. But there's something so special about being on a journey with someone, and I, I don't even think the CD player was working. So you sit in the car and you're like, well, well, hey, buddy, you know, and like, you know, it's almost like, and we, you know, we love to talk anyway, but it's, but you're forced to talk on a journey. And so that's these two individuals. They're walking to Emmaus from Jerusalem. Why? Because the Passover is over. They are headed home and they're talking about all the things that had happened in Jerusalem. They're talking about the things of Christ. And what it made me think about is that we communicate mostly about the things that we love and secondly, about the things that are current. Uh, for instance, um, many of you, I'm sure today, or in the last a couple of days, talked about Rob Blagojevich, you know, the fact that he was arrested, etc. It, it was a current event. Uh, many of us would uh, talk about the weather because the ice was coming down. You talk about current events. And these guys are walking from Emmaus to Jerusalem, talking about current events, and it just so happens that the current event that they're discussing is Jesus. Now listen, I'm going to ask each of you seven questions tonight. And it's these seven questions that have huge implications to whether or not you believe or not believe in the resurrection. And the first question from this passage that I want to ask you is this. Put up that question number one for me. Is Jesus still a current event? Do you talk about Christ like He is living? Or is Jesus some past event, some historical experience that you had at that one camp or that one service? Is Jesus on your lips so much so that what breathes out of your heart is this morning when I was reading in Hebrews chapter 12, God just grabbed a hold of my heart and spoke to me. Friends, is Jesus still a current event for you? And if he was, I would imagine that he would dominate our conversation. Anyone else? Whenever we're around one another, it would seem that there would only be a couple things that we should and would want to talk about, and one of those would be the things of Christ. Is Jesus still a current event? These two guys are traveling, and verse 15 says this, As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus Himself came up and walked along with them. Now this is, this is kind of funny, isn't it? You know, He's, he's resurrected. you got two guys walking along. And here comes Jesus, just right, right up alongside of them. Now, there's so many times in the Scripture where things get very, very spiritual, and this is one of those. 
Uh, you remember the transfiguration that we studied in the Gospel of Luke when we see um, glorified bodies of great prophets of old on a mountaintop. And you guys will remember what Peter said. Uh, like, should we set up a tent, you know, for the, you know? Remember that? Yeah. Well, this is one of those... This is one of those supernatural, spiritual moments. And I don't know about you, but for me, when things in Scripture take a very spiritual turn, sometimes it's tough to see it as a reality versus a fairy tale. Are you guys with me? It's like, hold on a second. He's just been raised from the dead. And now all of a sudden these two guys are walking along to, to, to Emmaus and here comes the Lord Jesus behind him. It's tough to see this story as reality and not fairy tale. But friends, let me tell you something. What these four individuals communicated, all without asking. I didn't say, oh hey, could you make sure that you share this because it would make for a great video, you know? Look at the camera this way. Could you tear up? That would be, that would be awesome. I didn't say any of that. Did you notice that all four people had a commonality about what they shared? They each talked about their experience with Christ. They each shared what Christ had done in their life amidst sin. And so if you want to take something from a fairy tale to reality, you remember not just what the Scripture says, but you remember how the Word is living and active in your life. You remember how the Spirit is moving amidst you. That's how we make that transition. And for non-believers, that's, it's tough. Because Scripture says the cross is foolishness, and that's why we keep praying that God will keep saving. Amen? Verse 16 says this, But they were kept from recognizing Him, which is kind of wretched if you think about it. The Lord Jesus walks up behind them, and they're kept from recognizing Him. This is a beautiful point. I love this. When you're studying the Scripture, you have to ask questions. And one of the questions that I hope every single one of you would ask at this point is, so why were they kept from recognizing him? Wouldn't it have been a lot easier if they would have been, Jesus, we were just talking about, this, this is amazing. The Lord Jesus is right like this. You know, and they're like hitting each other on the side. It tells me something about Jesus. That there is a teaching that's going to come out of this. And listen to this. The dialogue is important. Can I encourage you guys with something? I see in the scripture a beautiful picture of the timeline of Jesus. Now, I've struggled in many facets of my life with the timeline of Christ. Anybody else? Wanting things on my time schedule, desiring things when it was convenient for me. It would have been convenient for these two individuals if he would have just said, Here I am, the risen, reigning Lord Jesus, but he didn't because the dialogue is going to be crucial. And not just that, but you and I, look, isn't this beautiful? You and I tonight are going to read a conversation that happened 2,000 years ago. And it's not a fairy tale. It really happened on the road to Emmaus. Isn't that beautiful? And so here are these two guys. The Lord Jesus comes walking up and it forces me to ask question number two. Mentally, for you, what pieces of the Jesus story are a fairy tale? Now I put the word mentally. 
Because let's be clear. We really would never communicate it, would we? Because we don't want people to see us as faithless. We have all these doubts floundering around in our mind. Friends, this is why the church is called to edify one another. That we could wrestle together with our doubts. That we could continue to give them to the cross of Christ and watch Him, who is faithful when we are faithless, change our existence. Are you with me? And so look, question number two is one for you and I to wrestle with as we wrestle with the idea of the resurrection. Mentally, what pieces of the great book called the Bible are a fairy tale to you and not reality? Verse 17. There are several moments of humor in the scripture, and I love when they involve Jesus. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? (laughs) You know Jesus, you know? And this shows us again that the dialogue is important. It's important for him to ask the question because it's important for him to have the dialogue. What are you guys discussing as you walk along together? What, uh, one of the things I, I picture here is these guys have been walking for a long time together. Have you ever been in a big group of people and you've been talking for like 20 minutes and then random McGee happens in, you know, happens in the conversation and you're like, you're, you're still talking but it gets kind of weird? Because you're like, okay, we're talking about something for like 20 minutes. You're coming in the end of this. So at some point, you just like pause. And you're like, okay, listen, like here's the deal. And you take them through the whole deal. Have you ever had that? Like I feel like that happens to me all the time. Especially at church, it's hard. Because, you know, everyone's excited about talking to each other. And people are always saying hi. And so you're always like, okay, pause and, and let me catch you up. This is one of those moments that I picture. These two guys are walking along. And, and to them, it wouldn't have been strange for someone to, to walk up and want to discuss because people are walking. You want to walk, you want to talk, you, you want relationships. And so Jesus says, what have you been, uh, been discussing together as you walk along? End of this verse. They stood still, their faces downcast. This is the first indication that we get of where these two individuals' hearts are. They stood downcast. I'm not, a, um, I'm not all up on my emoticons, but I'm pretty sure that a downcast face has something to do with turmoil, sadness, confusion. Whenever you get one of those in your text message, you know it's bad, you know? Not the smiley face, but the upside down frown, you know? I want to encourage you guys with this. These two guys were disciples, not one of the not one not not some of the eleven that are still alive, but they were around. We don't know for how long, but they knew the things of Christ, and their faces are downcast, which gives us an indication of where their hearts are. They are struggling with the idea that Jesus died. And so, if you're here tonight, and when I ask the first question, "Why do you believe or not believe?" Look, don't feel like you're an outcast here. This is a place where we wrestle and where we struggle together in the hopes that God would do something supernatural. These two guys biblically are struggling. Verse 18 says this. One of them named Cleopas, which uh, back a couple chapters ago when we were talking about Simon of Cyrene, you guys remember him? And the big thing that I asked was, okay, if you get a name in the scriptures, then the question you always ask is, Why does this person have a name and Simon had a place? So, like, what's the significance? Unfortunately for this guy, 
we don't, like I don't have some cool diagram to show you, you know? It's possible, although I think it's very, very unlikely that it was the same guy that's mentioned at the end of John that has a, a little bit different spelling. It's, I, I don't think it's the same guy. So this guy stands alone. This is his one mention, and I think he probably gets a name because to Luke's readers, maybe Theophilus or some of the other individuals who would be reading this gospel, that they might have known him. So one of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? Do you guys get what he's saying? This is huge. What he's saying is, uh, it's like after the Super Bowl, okay, which millions of people watch all over the world. Jamie, how many people watch? 300 billion people watch the Super Bowl. I don't know. Lots of people. It's like the day after the Super Bowl, someone coming up to you and saying, so who won the game last night? You're like, do you live in a cave? Like what? Are you some type of hermit? You know, like, what do you mean who won the game? Everyone in the world was watching the game. This is one of those moments that he's talking about. He's like, are you kidding me? Are you just a visitor in Jerusalem? It's interesting, isn't it? That he would assume that people would know about the things of Christ. I heard growing up a lot of times, well, this was just a small sect. This really wasn't happening. This guy's assuming that this individual would have known if he would have been in Jerusalem. An execution at Passover time, yes, it happened before, but this one was different. And so he's like, look, like, if you were in Jerusalem, you would have known about these things. Verse 19, another bit of humor from Jesus. What things, he asked. You know, I, just, I, I don't even know what to say except smile. I just love that, you know. Verse, uh, uh, verse 19. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Look at this. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Now this gets interesting. Do you notice a couple of the phrasings of the word here? Uh, at the beginning, or in the middle of verse 19. He, what's the next word? Was a prophet. These are guys who have been around Jesus. They've heard some of the, uh, some of the teachings. They've seen some of the miracles. Their faces are downcast. And now they're saying things like, he was a prophet. Interesting, isn't it? They also say that he was powerful in word and deed before God. Before God is the statement that was even used at the beginning of Luke to describe Elizabeth and Zechariah as they waited on the birth of John the Baptist, that there was this respect between the individual and, the, and, and God. And so Cleopas gives Jesus the respect before God. He's powerful, good in word and deed. But he was a prophet. I think that verse 20 is really interesting. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. What does this say? Apparently, they were close enough to know the reality of where to point responsibility. Are you guys with me? It's interesting, isn't it? If you are a random uh, bystander, it's very probable that you would have communicated that it was the who? The Romans. They're watching the centurion at the end. They're seeing the Roman guards. But these two guys say it was the chief priests and whose rulers? Our rulers that handed him over to be crucified. What happens is, 
these guys talk about Jesus as if he didn't resurrect. Which makes me ask this question. If Jesus doesn't resurrect, then what? Noah and I sat in my office yesterday pondering this question. This is a big question, isn't it? All of these questions have implications to why or why, why, you, why would you not believe. But if he doesn't resurrect, then what for you? Then what for me? Verse 21 even gets more interesting. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. Uh, what I love about this is that Cleopas here speaks for both of them. Do you like that? But we had hoped. Have you ever had a friend that's, that spoke for you and you weren't really sure that was a good idea? You know? Yeah. There's power in numbers. Have you, have you noticed this? And what I, what I imagine is, whether it was a reality that he spoke about uh, in, in, in place of both of them for the truth, you know, there's power in doubting together. Have you ever noticed this? Someone starts to communicate and, and instead of the other being an encouragement to wrestle through those doubts, then all of a sudden it becomes this, this doubt questioning for a negative... You see what I'm saying? And so Cleopas says, but we had hoped that he was going to be the one that was going to redeem Israel. What, what word do you notice? We, what? Had hoped... This is a past hope. And then he says, and it is the third day since, the t- the, since this took place. Now, a couple different theories here. First of all, three times in Luke, Jesus talks about the connection of his death and the third day, right? The third day was a very prophetic means of Christ to talk about the day by which he would be raised again. So it's possible that Cleopas is saying, look, look, look. Like, it's the third day, and not just the third day, it's late in the afternoon. We know it's late in the afternoon by the verse we'll study next week. It's nearing dark. They're headed to Emmaus. So it's almost the end of the third day, and nothing has happened. That's possible. It's also possible, it's just like, okay, once a guy's been dead for three days, like, it's, it's probably over, you know? And I think this too. Let, let, me throw this, let me throw this in there. Look, you and I have the blessing of having the scriptures that are access. So... And the idea of resurrection, like we can at least read about it and see it. Does that make sense? Even the concept of Jesus raising from the dead isn't like they would say, oh, well, you know, empty tomb. Oh, that means resurrection, you know? Like they were, we see over and over and over the disciples struggling, connecting with the scriptures and the prophecies that Jesus was saying meant. And so they're struggling here again and it begs me to ask this question, number four. How are your expectations of Jesus different from his reality? What I mean by that is, this guy, these guys say um, that they had hoped that Jesus was going to be the one to redeem them from, uh, to redeem the nation of Israel. Acts chapter 1 verse 6, interesting. Right before the ascension of Christ, the apostles are together. And what do they ask? They ask, so is this the time now that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? For many of them mentally, and we've been teaching this all through Luke, 
Restoration of the kingdom of Israel meant what? It meant Romans in the hand, crush and no dicey. Okay? That's what it meant. Political overthrow. Raising to the forefront the kingdom of Israel. Problem is, for these guys, the one who is supposed to do that is dead, they think. And so I ask you guys, where are your expectations of Jesus different from the reality of who he is? It throws you into confusion. These guys have the risen reigning Lord in conversation with them and they don't know which way is up. Verse 22. The conversation continues. In addition, some of our women amazed us. Now if we just stop there, it'd be a great verse, wouldn't it? You know? It's like randomly, they just like give props to the girls, you know? In addition, Jesus, some of our, some of our women amazed us. You know? And they're like, yeah. This is... They go on. <laughs> they went to the tomb early this morning. You remember why they went to the tomb? Anybody? 80 pounds of what? Spices, linen, exactly. Take care of the body like Noah taught last week. Verse 23. But didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Verse 24. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Now this is interesting Because they're not making the transfer from seeing a vision of angels, the women's testimony, and then companions going. They're not making the transfer that, okay, that must mean that he's alive. They say all of this to Jesus, and then they say, but him, they don't know where he went. You know, it's like, where'd he go? You know? They don't make the transfer to resurrection. Now guys, I, I want to I encourage you guys with something though. Before we blame Cleopas too much. They heard this by, uh, via testimony. You guys with me? Companions, women. So not just did Cleopas not make this connection, companions, women didn't make the connection. What's interesting to me is there is a danger, listen to this, there is a danger sometimes in curiosity and interest. And what I mean by that is curiosity and interest, especially for the companions, drove them to the tomb. They see the empty tomb. They have the empty tomb at their access, but they misunderstand what it is. And so their journey is just curiosity, is just interest. Thankfully, we have their testimony, and so it benefits us. Are you guys with me? But for them, it was just Look, there's many of you that all of your journey with Christ is curious. You want to know more. You want to sound more theological. You want to be more doctrinally correct. And so everything for you is curiosity and interest that's able to feed your big mind as it grows and that you're able to communicate it and then seem like some type of spiritual warfare mania. If curiosity and interest ends before believing and seeing a risen reigning Lord, do you see 
that you've misunderstood what the gospel is. And so I want to encourage you guys in here that are very, very heady. You must ask that God continues to affect your heart and connect the two. That you may be curious, run to an empty tomb, and then allow that empty tomb to change your every being. To radically transform your existence. They come back and through testimony... What they're not saying is, He must be risen. No. They're saying, Him? We didn't even see Him. Next question. Does your curiosity outweigh your faith? Again, I'm not saying what the right answers are here, per se. But what I am saying is the answer to that question has huge implications to why you would, why you would believe or not believe that the resurrection is true and real. Verse 25, Jesus responds, and this gets really, really good, as it does when Jesus talks. He said to them, how foolish you are. So, so far, they they don't know he's Jesus. That would have been a great conversation starter, you know? They've just shared, and then this guy who they don't recognize as Jesus happened alongside of them. They're asking questions, and this guy says, how foolish you are. (laughs) You'd have been like, what? What are you, you know? How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? What Jesus says in one fail swoop is you have forgotten the connection of suffering and glory. And because you have misinterpreted the scriptures and not understood suffering and glory, then you can't see the Son of Man on a cross dying. You can't see the suffering servant bleeding and then believing that he would be raised again. A powerful passage. If you guys have your Bibles, flip with me to Romans chapter 8. This has tremendous implications for you and I. I love this verse. Romans chapter 8 verse 17 says this. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we, ought, that we may also share in his glory. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. It's not just missing glory and suffering in the person of Christ. It's when he said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. The promise of Romans chapter 8 is that you and I also must experience suffering to experience glory through the work of Christ. And so it's not just they were missing it through who Christ was. They were missing what the gospel would be. And guys, do you understand the implications for a Jew? 
If you're a Jew at this moment, what you've been waiting for is someone to wipe out all the Romans. But what Christ is saying is suffering and glory. Suffering servants, Son of God, all in one. Don't miss it. To follow and understand the empty tomb is to first understand what happened on the cross. And when Jesus resurrects, he shows that the suffering servant is the Son of God. I ask this question, question number six. In what ways do you struggle reconciling the connection of glory and suffering? This is a tough question. In what ways do you struggle reconciling the connection of glory and suffering? To understand the empty tomb is to understand that beautiful connection. And friends, in verse 27, can we just get a little bit excited in here? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Are you kidding me? Look, there's a few conversations in the Bible that I would have loved to to been there for. This This is definitely one of them. As Jesus exposits the Old Testament right before these two individuals' eyes who don't know who he is. He just rips their face off with the gospel through the Old Testament showing that everything in the Old Testament was pointing to himself. Now look, there's absolutely no way that I can do this conversation justice. Absolutely no way. But what I do want to do is we're going to look at a few passages that he may have quoted. Guys, look, isn't this beautiful? We're going to experience right now a bit of the conversation that he would have had with these two guys 2,000 years. Isn't this amazing? The beauty of the Word of God is living and active, never changing throughout all generations. Look at this. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Look at this. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Can you imagine him saying this verse and saying that verse is about Christ? Look at this. Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. I love this verse. See, I lay a stone in Zion a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation, the one who trusts will never be dismayed. Can you imagine this conversation? He's just opening all the mystery of the Old Testament. And look, we didn't even mention the law. He would have talked something like, oh yeah, and and you'll know the law because you're a Jew. 
In the law, the law was created so that it could show our distance from God and that it could reveal the need for Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Because that was the purpose of the law. And then look at this verse in Isaiah 40, 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lamb in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently uh, leads those that have young Can you picture that verse? And then this verse that we studied, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. He may have even mentioned later in Isaiah 53, and the Lord was pleased to crush Him. Suffering. Glory. And in one fail swoop, he's opening the mystery of the entire scriptures before these two guys' eyes. The verses aren't done, though. Look at this. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Wouldn't you have loved to see that? That verse, righteousness will soon be revealed, that was pointing to me. That was waiting on me. I am salvation that's near at hand. Beautiful text. Uh, Daniel chapter 7 verse 13. Uh, We've quoted this uh, verse before. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. This phenomenal image to Christ being the son of man, the son of God. And Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. Your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. Look, this is one of those moments where I pause in my life And I just say, God, I want to believe the resurrection. I want my head and my heart to connect in such a way that I live Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, the power of the resurrection. Paul goes on to say that I might share in the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. That's the power of the resurrection. This is a moment where I stop as a man and I say, God, will you allow my little daughter, two and a half years old, to understand the power of the resurrection? Her depraved heart won't unless you connect head and heart together. That she can know the power, that she can feel the power, that she can live every day with the hope that you are risen. Look, there's no good points that can do it. There's no whiteboard drawing that can connect all the dots. This is one of the mysteries of the things of God. I ask question number seven. Why do you believe or not believe that Jesus is risen? I, I, can't, I can't do anything. 
I can't bring the band up and hope that they hit the right chord and then all of a sudden everyone will believe. All I can do is imagine Christ opening the revelations of the Old Testament before their eyes and with all that I am saying, oh God, I desire to know you so much more. But I can't give you that desire and you can't give your neighbor that that desire. And when we worship here in a moment, we can't look around. All we can do is ask God to do something supernatural. Are you guys with me? That's all we can do. I want Matthias's lot to know the power of the resurrection, the empty tomb, the implications that it has for your life. I want you to know and believe the connection between suffering and glory, not just for Christ, but for you. I want you to know that. I want to know that. But only He can do that work in us. And so let's stand and let's pray and let's ask for something supernatural in this church tonight. Come on, let's stand together. Look, it's Easter every day, isn't it? The tomb's empty every day. And so we can stop and say, God, would you reveal the reality of Easter to us right now in this moment? Come on, let's pray together. God, we ask you to move. God, will you put us on that road to Emmaus? Will you help us hear the scriptures? Would you open our heart to the reality of yourself? Would you grip our lives with the power of the resurrection? Would we as a church know and live in that reality, O oh God? Would our curiosity bring us to the empty tomb and may you cause belief? And not just belief, but a life that beats passionately for the cause of the gospel in and around our existence. God, we ask you to do that. We're not going anywhere tonight. We're right here, right now. For those that don't believe, I pray that you'll do something. For those that do believe but have disconnected head and heart, God, do something. Will you please do a work in here in your awesome name? The great name of a risen Lord.